Interoception is the perception of sensations inside the body. So what are those? Well, we've got heartbeat, we've got respiration, we've got our satiety, so our hunger, hunger level, as well as emotions. Now, this is key because in recent years, through the process of interoception, we know that the health of our fascia, it projects directly to our brain. So if, if, there, are, if, if there are obstructions or if your fascia is not healthy, then it's actually going to impact our emotional health as well. Hello and welcome to Nourish. My name is Kasha and I'm a holistic counselor and first-year doctoral student studying acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine. My mission with this podcast is to share the stories of inspiring humans who have discovered that elusive state of balance between the Western concept of success with more Eastern philosophies of inner knowing and spirituality. Think yin and yang and flow. Now, These two do not need to be separate, but I know firsthand how difficult it can be to reconcile them. As a Silicon Valley burnout SKP myself, teaser, I left the tech world after 10 years of a thriving career in product management. I want to share the stories that I wish I had heard when I was struggling to find that balance and flow myself. My hope is that these interviews can inspire you to rethink your own approach to mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. And if you are struggling, find your way back to authentic alignment. So, sit back, relax, and ground yourself back home, my love. Now let's get started. Hello, my loves, and welcome back to Nourish. Today, I have on a very special guest, Andy Chichu, who is a certified strength and conditioning specialist and educator with a genuine passion for making a positive impact in the fitness industry. Now, Andy has an incredible resume, everything from teaching courses on behalf of companies such as the National Academy of Sports Medicine, trigger point performance. He's made guest appearances on Hong Kong TV shows and has led tons of public fitness events. But what I was particularly excited about was his new book, Dynamic Balance, which is all about integrating principles from traditional Chinese medicine into the fitness world. So we dive into a lot, everything from how Chinese medicine views physical fitness and exercise. We debunk some of the top myths, including questions around high intensity training and can women bulk up, which I think every female out there has probably been wondering at some point in her fitness journey. And then we also dive into some interesting topics around why fascia is crucial to both our physical and emotional health and what can you tangibly do to train your fascia and so much more. So if you're interested in physical fitness, if you're interested in Chinese medicine and integrating the two, this is a must listen. Now, without further ado, let's jump on in. So before we dive into it, I want to start with a question that I ask each and every individual, and that is, what are three words, 
non-work related that you would use to describe yourself? The three words I would say, one is curious, second, gritty, and lastly, a dreamer. Ooh, I love that. Well, I will also let you know that those are original. I have not heard those before, so nice. All right, we're going to jump right into it because I like to hit straight for all the questions. You are a certified strength and conditioning specialist and educator, and your profile is truly mind-blowing. So I feel like you really integrate both the East and the West in terms of concepts from fitness. You lead educational seminars on behalf of companies like the National Academy of Sports Medicine, TRX, Trigger Point Performance, and PowerPlate, just to name a few. You appear on TV shows. You have a master's in exercise science. And I know that you speak publicly uh, at events around fitness and kind of how to think about physical fitness from a very holistic point of view. And that is really what stands out to me, how you think about physical health and fitness from this very holistic, integrated uh, point of view. Can you share with us a little bit what do you do specifically and what is unique about that holistic point of view that you really bring to the table when it comes to physical condition? Sure. Well, to all that's to, to everyone who's listening right now, I think these days, if you go onto the internet, you'll find an overwhelming amount of information on health and fitness. And so much so that perhaps you find it difficult to navigate through. And with my background in digital science, my job is to break down all these overwhelming information so that people don't have to waste time doing things that impede the performance, but actually incorporate practices that helps them thrive and perform at their best. So I, I do personal training, I do group training, I do workshops and webinars on various topics depending on what my clients want to hear. And in terms of my approach to fitness and health, I would say that my approach, yes, it's more holistic, but at the same time, I, I would say that's frankly unspectacular at times. And, and I know some might be, some might, it may, it may raise some eyebrows in my word choice and unspectacular, but well, first off, holistic in what sense, uh, in the sense that we have to consider different aspects of lifestyle into consideration. Yet, I would say my approach is quite unspectacular because there's nothing catchy or Instagram worthy about my approach to fitness. Cause if we just do the simple things that our bodies are designed to do, then the body will thrive. And, and unfortunately that sometimes is not catchy enough to warrant a big Instagram post. Cause, Oh, let's just do what you're supposed to do. Oh, but, okay. There's nothing mark, nothing, uh, <laughs> nothing catchy about that face. So I would say, what separates me from other people is number one, the holistic approach. And second one, I, I just focus on doing the simple things that we're designed to do. So I'm over here laughing, keeping myself on mute to not interrupt you. But uh, as you, as we kind of mentioned, I did work in tech before this and a t engineering manager that I absolutely adore had once said, boring is a feature. So boring is a feature. <laughs> Unspectacular is absolutely a feature. So congratulations on that. I think it's very, very important. Um, so let's dive into that a little bit. You talked about you know, just now how you think about fitness holistically. And I know that, and I've read your book cover to cover, you integrate Chinese medicine into your fitness philosophy. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired you to kind of approach fitness from that point of view? 
Yeah, I a little bit about my background. I'm from Hong Kong. I grew up in Hong Kong, so I spent thir- the first 13 years of my life in Hong Kong. And then growing up, because I I grew up in this culture, we're somewhat somewhat familiar with the terms that are mentioned within Chinese medicine, um, because you know a lot of terms are have cultural context in them. Yet growing up, no one was able to explain to me the tangible benefits of TCM other than the fact that I had to drink bitter herbal tea to stay healthy. And, and so I, I think like many people, I put it off because I, I was misinformed and I didn't understand it. So because I didn't understand it, I was just like, oh, it doesn't work. And, and then I went to the US when I was 13 to be in school. So I was there in total for 10 years. And what I found was that you know, in the US, Chinese medicine really is an alternative medicine. And, and what I didn't what I found was that the yin yang sign was seen in such diverse places, right? From the dodgy massage store in the local mall to the yin yang twins on MTV. And, and there I was just like, whoa, okay, so the yin yang sign is used in this way in the US. And, and that clouded the topic further because that obviously has kind of put me off into this philosophy. Because, okay, so if I tell people I do Chinese medicine, I'm going to get laughed at. And as a high schooler, uh, that's the one thing that I, I don't want. And so, but this all changed when I became a strength and conditioning coach. And in the 2016 Olympics, uh, Michael Phelps was seen with purple dots on his back. And I joke with my clients all the time, a celebrity endorsement goes a long way when it comes to anything that we do. <laughs> and and uh, ever since the Olympics, the athletic community has been crazy about the oriental recovery methods like cubbing, gua sha, acupuncture. And that piqued my interest as well. And so fast forward a few years, a lot of times when we are in in, an industry, we we think about what we can contribute to the industry. And for me, I sat there and I was like, okay, so with my unique background, I think I can offer valuable insights if I try to deconstruct and unpack different TCM knowledges. So I started studying and just chatting with friends and practitioners about the concepts of TCM. And I found that... A lot of things makes a lot of logical sense and it is built on a simple premise that we just have to live according to the rules of nature. And and so contrary to my previous belief and understanding that it was weird, alternative and, and spiritual, well actually what I found was that the system of medicine is built on logic and rational thinking. So ever since then, I, I started incorporating principles into strength and conditioning because to me, Chinese medicine is more of a lifestyle than just some catchy short-term plans that you go on. So for me, it's the perfect complement to strength and conditioning because I can ensure what my clients do outside the gym is conducive to the training that I do inside the gym. So that's just kind of how I got started and where I am today. So that resonates so deeply. I mean, for me hearing this, the way that Chinese medicine kind of views this alignment with nature, it sounds so simple yet is so difficult given how we live today and it does you know from the perspective of a student for me it really does feel like a coming back home to you know the way that we should live and so I really appreciate you kind of uh, speaking to that now for a lot of people who are listening to this and I'll obviously link this in the show notes. I talk about Chinese medicine on this podcast. So I have a lot of other episodes that cover kind of some intros into Chinese medicine, 
But I know that some folks who are listening to this particular episode who want to understand how to think about fitness from a different point of view may not really be that familiar with Chinese medicine. And your book really does go into explaining it in such a simplified way that straight up, I swear, you know, certain topics I'm covering in school and I was like, whoa, I understand them now. So it was amazing. So I'd love for you to share with the audience a bit for those people who are not familiar with Chinese medicine, what are some of the core principles that, you know, Chinese medicine focuses on and you can kind of relate them back to fitness? TCM is a complex system of medicine that has existed for thousands of years. And essentially, it is interested in what we in the West refer to as homeostasis. And the, 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 well, what is homeostasis? Well, it's the self-regulating process that the body goes through for survival and optimal human performance. But here is the cool part. So instead of using vocabularies like ATP, pH, blood sugar level, in TCM, they use vocabularies such as qi, blood, yin-yang, and five phases to explain and understand the relationship between the body and its surrounding environment. So similar to homeostasis, the balanced state is believed to be most conducive to human performance in TCM as it indicates that the body is coping aright with different factors. Or as we say in dynamic balance, there is harmony between the body and the surrounding environment. And any deviation from that balance point compromises the body's ability to fight against different factors that may ultimately lead to sickness. And in the case where the body deviates from the balanced state, there are different theories and strategies within TCM to help you return to that optimal state where you perform best. So I would say to sum it all up, essentially we, we want to be in the balanced state and in the case where we deviate from it, there are strategies and principles to help the body get back to that optimal state where we perform best. So here I am. I mean, I'm currently in Puerto Rico, but you know that I'm based in California grew up in the U.S. my entire life. I know you lived there for some time. You probably know that <laughs> here in the American culture, and, I, and I'm actually so curious to know what it's like right now in China, but we definitely do not necessarily, for most people, live in a state of balance. Like I'm generalizing here, but when I think about, let's just take it back to fitness, you know, it feels like an all or nothing approach. Like I'm working out every day. I have strict diets to kind of adhere to. You know, for me personally, I've shifted that more so because I'm prioritizing my health and my well-being. But when it comes to thinking about physical fitness, that's really the narrative that comes through. Like magazines perpetuate that, you know, it's just kind of the way you think that things need to be done. Even when we think about, I'll kind of provide another example, keto, right? And by the way, nothing against keto diets. If you're out there listening and you follow that, it works for you. Great. But there's just this like prescribed approach to food, prescribed approach to movement. And so I would love to hear like, what kind of fitness and physical health, maybe nutritional myths can you debunk for us that your clients or you know, perhaps even you yourself used to adhere to before you started to think about it from this integrated Chinese medicine point of view? Yeah, well, I'll tell you one thing that's, that I think is sad and disappointing, at least to me, is that in, health, in the health and fitness space, in particular dieting, People will always say, oh, it all boils down to energy in and energy out. It's that simple. And that supplements are needed for optimal health. 
I think the problem is everyone seems to be biochemists these days, if you know what I mean, right? We, we calculate all these micronutrients, macronutrients, and you listen to all these dieting talks and they're like, oh, you've got blah, 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 vitamins and that minerals. And, and I think approaching things, approaching things like diet this way, like biochemists in this lifeless approach almost, I think it does a huge injustice to the culinary culture um, because in, in the past thousands of years, there are foods in, in different cultures and and usually these diets and foods are dictated by what's available to them and so i i think that from an energy in energy out perspective you might say that a protein shake can replenish your energy and it might be a building block for muscles from from a scientific point of view but you know it discounts the fact that perhaps whole i mean it discounts the fact that whole foods has all the natural nutrition that the body needs and and we are meant to live that way or we're meant to be living that way and and so i think to me there's nothing more disappointing than just this whole energy in energy out equation because i think the body deserves so much better than just such a simple equation i agree <laughs> i'm getting hungry just thinking about it <laughs> so so we talked a little bit about that nutritional side now what about the fitness side what are some fitness myths that you can debunk for us today, um, you know, based on your perspective on bringing traditional Chinese medicine into physical training? Sure. I would say there are multiple. And and the first thing that I actually want to, it just came upon me. So th- uh, this is definitely, it's just, I'm just going to go on a ramble here and please stop me if I, if I deviate too much and go off a tangent. And that is isolated muscle training. So in, in the fitness world, we always hear the term sculping, right? I want to sculpt a perfect body so that when I'm in Puerto Rico, when I go to the beach, I can impress everyone that's out there. And, and, and traditionally, in terms of the approach at the gym, you work on an isolated body part. Today, I'm going to work on my hips because I, I want to have good looking hips for the beach. Or I'm going to work on my abs and I'm going to work on my chest, et cetera, et cetera. And to this point, I have to share a, a story. And that is in 2014, I was really close to my childhood dream. And that was to become a professional soccer player here in Hong Kong. And in 2014, I was given a trial with a local sports team called Yulong Football Club. And I was on trial with them for a couple of weeks. And we were doing agility training. So agility training is where you go on these speed ladders. You might see on videos of these athletes doing different acceleration, deceleration, coordination movements. And as I was doing these movements, the fitness coach, he pulled me aside and he said, Hey, Andy, you know when people change directions, they kind of just touch and go and and they just agilely change directions. But when you do these drills, when you turn, you turn like a robot. So instead of touching and go, you, you do like a 180 degree rotation and then you kind of dash off. Why do you move like a robot? And that was an epiphany for me because I, I realized the traditional way of training did not prep me to move better, right? I think tra- traditionally we've all heard, or we've all seen guys who spend six, seven hours at the gym and they're super bulky, yet they, they walk like they are a robot. And and, and to this point, I would say that one of the misunderstandings at a gym is isolated muscle training is the only way of training. And, and that's not true because, okay, fine, you could be a bodybuilder, that could be your aspiration, and that could be your goal. But if your goal is to be a better athlete, if your goal is to have a healthier lifestyle, to move better, 
then I would challenge the notion that we have to do isolated muscle training. So what should we do instead? Well, we should actually do some total body movements and we should do some rhythmic movements because what turns out, not only in Chinese medicine, but we've been doing that for thousands of years in, in culture um, via, you could say, Tai Chi, Qigong in Chinese medicine. We've been doing that in yoga uh, and we've been doing that in dances. And so you could certainly find a lot of common ground in the things that we've been doing. And yet, I would say over the past decade or two, people get so caught up in training muscle in isolation that they forget if I want longevity in my life, if I want to become a better athlete, perhaps I should train my body to move in it to be competent in different movements because that's ultimately what health is all about. So really striving for a like a fluid body, a body that is healthy as opposed to focusing on or expecting, I guess, really, because we're debunking this to tone just specific parts of your body with isolated movements. What about things like HIIT workouts? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because I do know like it's kind of all the rage. Lots of people are doing it, myself included. Tell me, yeah, what's going <laughs> on there? Well, put it this way. This is key. Our training results hinges upon the body's ability to tolerate, to recover from, and adapt to a training stress. And look, I think research in exercise science has been in favor of, of high-intensity interval training, as known as HID, for fast metabolism, thereby uh, facilitating fat loss or muscle building, cardiorespiratory fitness, etc. And, you know, if you've been to a, a real HIIT session before, you can attest to how challenging and demanding they, they are. Yet, I think we overlook an important point, and that is in the research, researchers also caution people from doing too many HIIT workouts because of its high intensity in, in nature, because of its high impact on the joints and the system or a different system of your body. And all this to say, I think the human body is strong and robust enough to be pushed towards the limit. But if we are constantly at the limit, say if we do five hit sessions a week, then we have to ask ourselves why their body is able to recover from it. Because it's like the yin yang philosophy, right? We, we know hit is definitely very yang, it's very aggressive, it's very vigorous. And, and we, we have to make sure that our body has adequate amount of recovery. Um, and if it, if it doesn't have adequate amount of recovery, then I would, I would say that the hit is merely only fatiguing the body. And, and as a result, you're not going to get the training outcome that you're looking for because, again, our training outcome hinges upon the body's ability to recover from the stress that we, we place upon it. So hit session in itself, I think it's fantastic. But we have to ask the question, is this right for where I am at the moment? Because that ultimately dictates what we should do. So all about balance. I love that. <laughs> all right. I need to potentially debunk one more because I know every female that's listening to this is probably wondering and is like, Kasha, please ask the question. We have this philosophy, okay, like in the female world, which is, you know, some people are, you know, I, I am all for like strong versus just purely skinny, like, and everybody's body is beautiful. I totally believe that. 
But for some people, you know, especially women, like they have this fear of bulking when using high weights. And, you know, you see kind of exercises like bar exercises or very small sculpting, like small, low weight, small sculpting exercises. For women, like, is it, you know, how should we be thinking about using weights? And is there some truth to that notion that heavy weight will bulk you up? My thoughts is again, it goes back to what we were, what we have been doing for thousands of years. And I think it doesn't matter who you are, male or female, we have been lifting weights. Um, and, and at this point, I think we also have to recognize that men and women are built differently. And, and it's very difficult for women to bulk up because of, of hormones. And, and I'd say that it is actually good for the body if you do some heavy training, just so we it, it transfers to everyday life and i think for me my perspective is all on function and every single day you know once in a while you're gonna have to fly and you can carry some heavy luggages or you're gonna have to move some furniture around and so functionally it's gonna help you to kind of live your lives lives better and and i doubt i doubt that you know two three sets of heavy lifting will bulk the body up because from a Rational point of view, I think to all the women who's listening out there who's afraid of bulking up, you can think of the fact that there are some bulky guys who spend six to seven hours in the gym and they try so hard. They, you know, they get super caught up in their diet and their sleep and whatever, 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 just to bulk up. And if you could bulk up doing five sets of heavy deadlifts, then, you know, you could be the next millionaire because you can literally write a book about it and you can make a business out of the shortcuts to bulking up. So I think realistically, I think realistically it's just impossible. And there's a lot of scientific studies in, in, in studying hormones and stuff. But to me, I think we don't even need to go there because speaking from experience, I know, I, I, I know that um, this, this episode is audio only, but if you can see me, I do heavy lifting and, and I'm not that bulky and, and I lift four to five times a week. So um, at least from personal experience and a lot of the clients that I work with, um, anecdotally, there's there's no problem with bulking. Yeah, it's it's so funny. Whenever I interview folks who have this background in traditional Chinese medicine, and I'm just like, okay, give me the tips, give me the and I, like I know inherently it's so hard to do as well because everybody's constitution is different. And I love that you kind of alluded to that. So thank you. So I actually want to shift to. Um, a little bit of the sciencey things that you really do get into in your book. And you talk a lot in the book about the importance of fascia. So fascia, fascia, I don't know, both, you know, both work. So I would love to hear from you. First of all, can you tell us what that is? And why is it so important when it comes to physical health, physical fitness? Yeah, fascia is a type of connective tissue that permeates throughout the entire body. So there are different layers of fascia in the body, under the skin, around the muscles, and visceral organs. Our book zooms in on the layer that wraps around the muscles since our book is targeted towards the athletic population. And for all the viewers out there who have no idea what fascia is, a little imagery out there is, is that you can think of the last time you've bought some chicken from the supermarket and a raw chicken i shall say and fascia is the layer that wraps around the muscle and the layer that's in uh, that's underneath the skin 
So if you peel open the chicken skin, you'll find this filmy layer, a little slimy as well, that wraps around the muscle. And that essentially is what fascia is. And the term fascia is not English, obviously, and it came from Latin. And the Latin root of the word translates to band, which referred to the basic function, so we thought, uh, of fascia. And that was to hold things together. However, recent evidence indicates that we have undermined the role of fascia as we limit it to holding things together. So um, that's why there are so many benefits to keeping it healthy because we, we now know that in addition to holding your muscles together, it plays a few key roles. And I'm just going to quickly uh, give an overview. Those are what we call the first term, proprioception. What? Well, this is what uh, fascia does to our brain. If you're listening right now, if you're not driving, I encourage you to close your eyes. And if you close your eyes, you can lift up your right arm. And chances are, even with your, yeah, thanks. <laughs> chances are, even with your eyes closed, you are well aware of the fact that you raise your right arm. And that is proprioception. And, and that's our body's awareness in space. And the second one is nociception. And that pertains to injuries because that we're, we're talking about pain management in that one. So fascia communicates with the brain, uh, with, with different pain signals. And lastly, the one that we talk about in dynamic balance is interoception. And here, I just want to spend a little bit longer talking about this topic. Um, interoception is the perception of sensations inside the body. So what are those? Well, we've got heartbeat, we've got respiration, we've got our satiety, so hunger, hunger level, as well as emotions. Now, this is key because in recent years, through the process of interoception, we know that the health of our fascia, it projects directly to our brain. So if if there are if if there are obstructions or if your fascia is not healthy, then it's actually going to impact our emotional health as well. And this is probably going to change a lot of people's perspective when it comes to taking care of their fascia. Because again, previously we thought that fascia was just there to hold things together. So yeah. Well, all the things in the body work together as we have learned, right? <laughs> it is an integrated whole, not just, you know, unique separate parts. So I, wow. Okay. So I read the whole book and I feel like this time that like really stood out to me. And you do talk about in the book, the importance of also emotions on your overall health. Um, can you take a moment to kind of talk about why that is so important? Sure. So in diet balance, we, we actually talk about three key areas of lifestyle, and that is your diet, your emotions, and your fascia slash training or things that you do to the fascia. And I guess I could just give an overview on how they're connected because what we're saying is that you cannot just untangle these three aspects and say, I'm only going to work on my diet. And here's why. Our, our diet and our emotions are intricately linked um, because of the connection between our gut and our brain and a lot of us will have heard that our gut is the second brain because it is over it has more than 100 million nerve cells and and to put it into perspective we've all been there where we have eaten some pizza that's sitting that has sat on the on the counter for hours and we've gotten an upset stomach and that definitely impacts our mood and on the other hand you can think about you know the time that you've had an important important meeting or important match or before an important match and you would have experienced butterflies in your stomach. 
And in these ways, we, we know that when we are nervous or when we're under stress, that switches off our digestive system so that blood can go into our muscles. Um, ultimately, that is because there's a response in the brain known as fight or flight. And in, in the fight or flight response, digestion is temporarily shut off so that the body can utilize the resources elsewhere. So in this way, what we put in our body really impacts our brain and what happens in our brain really impacts the food I eat because I could eat as healthy as I want. I could eat all the superfood that's out there. But if I'm in that fight or flight, if I'm nervous all the time, then it, it, it's all my diet is just dieting is just an afterthought because it, it's underutilized. So there's the diet and emotions. Now from emotions to fascia, if we get back to that flight or flight response, that sympathetic response, you again, let's let's do some analogies because I believe analogies are, are the best way to explore the connection. If you think about 2000 years ago, when we're just sitting down and enjoying our meals, there would be some predators that are chasing after us. Let's say a bear, right? And whenever you encounter a bear, you have two options. You either run away as fast as you can, or you try to fight the bear. And there, this is where the fight or, fight or flight response name came from, because we either fight it or we flight. And in this state, our fascia has to tense up. Uh, it has to become more rigid because we have to produce force as quickly and in the shortest amount of time as possible. So in the fight or flight response, it primes my body into this tightened state so that I can get ready to explode. Now, on the other hand, if I'm in rest and digest, the opposite of uh, fight, fight or flight, then in this state, my fascia loosens up and it becomes more pliable and smooth because this is where my body recovered. So in this way, we can see that my emotional response, it dictates how my body responds. On the other hand, what I do to my body my phys physically can also have an impact to my mind. Why is that? Well, if you think about the modern lifestyle, you know, where most of us are sitting for eight hours a day, and if we are sitting, chances are we are in a hunch-over position. Now, if you've ever done any yoga classes or Pilates classes, you will have done some deep breathing or deep diaphragmatic breathing exercises. And you will know that chest breathing, it induces a stress response because in this hunch position, people talk of the insidious nature of, of your posture on physical health. But I want to extend that further because when you're stuck in, when you're a chest breather, when you're just doing chest breathing for eight hours a day, then you're also priming your body for flight or flight because it thinks that you're ready for a fight. But really, you're just responding to emails, right? So, um, and uh, <laughs> responding to emails is definitely, well, in most cases, not a life-threatening situation. So in this way, we can see that our emotions and our training or our fascia are also linked. Now, lastly, our fascia and the diet we know that our fascia is mainly consists of fluids and, and other liquids. So if we have a diet that dehydrates us, a diet that's filled with processed foods, then it's it's not going to be it's not going to be beneficial to my fascia as well. Because in an ideal world, we want the fascia to be pliable and smooth. So um, hopefully, in this concise summary, we can just see that the connection between all three. Because if I'm stressed all day, then that's going to make my fascia tight. If I'm stressed all day, that's going to impact my diet. And, and so I would say that it is really important that we look at things from an integrative point of view, because it's impossible just to 
untangle one area and say, let's work on the diet. That definitely resonates. I mean, I, you know, you know, my background, I used to work in tech, I can reflect on just like that fight or flight experience quite a lot. You know, I talk about this on other podcasts, but that feeling of stress, constant stress, and I completely agree with you. I can speak on a personal level how that did affect my eating habits. I either like wouldn't eat um, and then that would affect, you know, not just like my thinking, how capable I was, but my stress levels because like not eating kind of plummeted my blood sugar. I got super stressed after that. Then I would like eat a lot because I hadn't eaten all day and I wasn't mindful of what I was eating, completely disconnected from how I felt about it. And it just became this vicious cycle. And Honestly, I can say that prior to COVID, I was like 15 pounds heavier and I was working out every day. Like my workouts were exactly the same. And one of the main differences, um, you know, over the period of time of COVID, because this is also when I like transitioned, changed a lot of things in my lifestyle, um, transitioned work-wise. Um, but I also, you know, just really transitioned how I was living my life, which really, I think, decreased my stress levels, which influenced what I ate, how I ate, um, and I think also how my body, how inflamed my body was. Like, you know, and that's just a personal experience that I'm reflecting back to you and to whoever's listening. So I wanted to actually ask you a question kind of related to feelings. Um, is there a connection between how we feel about our bodies when we move them and our fitness results? I don't think you went into this exactly in your book, but I'm curious if this is something perhaps you see with clients. Yeah, I, I think this is a great question. So and in other words, is what I am feeling important when it comes to the things I do? Because a lot of times we are stuck, especially in the fitness industry, we're stuck in this no pain, no gain mindset. And certainly I know a lot of people out there who, who are in this uh, mindset, including you, Kaja. I, I know that you, you like to push yourself to the limit. But I, I can only speak from personal experience. So for all those who are working with me, usually the first question I ask is, how do you feel today? And I, I ask that because I do think how we feel that day, it it. it it has a profound impact on our performance, uh, especially we know that ladies, uh, you have your menstrual cycle. So uh, when when that time of the month come, you just you just have your energy levels are depleted. So for me to say no pain, no gain in, in that in that period, I think it's a bit ignorant on, on my side, and we, we just ignored people's legitimate feelings uh, of their body. So for me, I'd say your feelings about your body tell you a lot about your current health. And in fact, I, I think that whenever we feel tight, that's actually a sign that either mentally we're, we're stressed or that we've been stuck in the position for too long. And, and I know that 90% of the world these days will, will feel tight in some, uh, in one, one instance or the other. So, so I'll say that you should closely listen to your feelings because when you feel tight, chances are you probably have been chest breathing or you've been stuck in a position for too long. I feel like we've really ramped up our audience listening to this to be like, all right, obviously my workout routine is probably not working for me. Uh, so I'd love to leave folks with some actual tangible tips for for those listening to this. How What should they be doing in terms of 
I'm reflecting on my workout routine. How do I figure out what's in balance, what's out of balance? How do I get into <clears throat> dynamic balance? Hey. Dare I say, <laughs> yeah, just like your book is titled. Uh, like, what would you suggest to people who are listening to this to do now that they've heard all this information? Sure. Well, one fundamental question that we have to ask ourselves is what is our purpose in working out? You know, are we trying to improve our physique? Are we trying to improve my ability to complete everyday tasks? Am I trying to become a better athlete? Because those decisions, you know, they, they drive our programming. And for me, 80, 90% of the people that I work with, they just want to be healthier. And, and they might not have, have a particular goal in mind. And here's where I usually would tell them the way I approach it, which is a movement-based training approach. What is that? Well, if you have played any sport before, let's take basketball, for example, because I, I think most of us will have played basketball before. When you shoot a basketball, do you think about which muscles you're using? Not really, because you just shoot the basketball. In the same way, when you play tennis, do you think about your legs and then use your core, use your chest and then your arms? Well, not really, because you just hit the ball. And yet, I think in, in the past 10 years in, in the fitness industry, we're so conscious on oh, this mind-body connection where I have to feel a muscle and which muscle am I supposed to feel? Oh, my pecs. But really, in everyday life, when I am to pick up groceries off the ground, when, I, when I'm there to pick up my kids, you don't really think about the muscles that you, you are using because you're thinking about the movement that you have to do. So in that way, my, my training approach is I do a lot of movement-based training. So... All of the movement patterns that we do can be distilled, distilled down to different categories. And that is push, pull. You can think of squat. You can think of lunge or a step. Or you could think of it uh, or rotation. Let me elaborate. So, you know, pushing, you could be pushing into different direction. But that in itself falls into the category of pushing. And pulling, likewise, right? If you think about pulling, not only do I pull from horizontally, I could pull from overhead or in different directions. And the best athletes, the best movers are the ones who are strong in all directions. Yet, if you think about the, the way we've been approaching fitness, oh, I do bench press, but I, I only push in one direction for years and years and years. Or I might just do one type of squat because this is the way to squat. But what I'm saying is, well, in life, when you get into your car, you are squatting and you're not necessarily in that perfect squat position. So therefore, we should add some variety to your squats because that is going to transfer to better functioning and better health outside the gym. So I would say that for most of my clients, we could be doing HIIT, we could be just doing heavy lifting, we could be doing an easy recovery training because they might not be feeling it that day. But all of my movements are based on this movement pattern, uh, movement-based training, because I think that that could mold, that could better translate to everyday health and better sports performance. This provides so much insight in terms of, you know, really focusing on kind of overall health and longevity. So another topic that you do talk about in this book, in the book, Dynamic Balance, is rest. I'd love to hear from your point of view, like, how do we know that we are First of all, how do you define rest? And B, like, how do we know that we are getting enough of it, incorporating it properly, et cetera? Nowadays, I think if I look to a lot of my friends and my clients, 
they'll say, I'll ask them, oh, what are you doing? What, what are you doing for better recovery? And they'll say that, oh, I'm going to watch Netflix or I take these social media breaks throughout the day just so that I can recharge. To me, these things are not recovery methods because of one simple distinction. And that is the idea of a false trigger. If you think about Netflix, I'm not against Netflix because I think that movies are great and it's a great time to spend time with our friends, our family, and our loved ones. Yet, if you think about you watching Netflix, again, it's a false trigger according to the concepts that we've discussed so far, right? When I'm watching Netflix, I'm usually on my couch. I'm slouched over. I'm chest breathing and I'm chest breathing for two hours, three hours. And not only that, when I uh, when I watch Netflix, usually about 20 minutes in, I start to crave some snacks because uh, chances are it's quite difficult to just sit there and watch Netflix without something to chew on and to bite on. So there we run into the classic deadly combo that we mentioned in Diamond Balance, uh, and that is a false trigger into fight or flight through the chest breathing. And then if you snack as well, then you know that goes into a processed food in our diet, which also will impact our fashion because everything is linked. So so to me, Netflix in itself is not the problem again, but it's the the way that we watch Netflix, uh, our posture while watching Netflix. And the same goes for social media. You know, certainly for me, being from Hong Kong and then being in the US, I think these days when we turn on social media, it's all just political news. And 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 for me, these are false triggers as well because it my, my my brain will most likely see this as a threat when it when it isn't. So, um, the the main differentiation is this idea of false triggers. The best recovery modalities are the ones that restore my body back to its original state. So back to TCM. If you think about a lot of the modalities that practitioners use, be it cubbing, be it gua sha, be it acupuncture. All these modalities are there to restore the way that our body is supposed to be, which is to have unobstructed, to have smooth chi and blood, to have good circulation, that circulation throughout the body. And and because you know good health or good circulation is vital to health. So so I would say that when it comes to recovery, we just have to ask ourselves, is this activity restoring my natural state of health because again the more natural it is the better and if it isn't then i'll say that that doesn't constitute a recovery and and moreover i'll say that you're just adding to yourself more stress so do you recommend that your clients work out every day or not work out every day um like how do you encourage them to think about movement yeah so this ties back to my uh, in the beginning, in, in the intro where I kind of deem my whole philosophy as unspectacular. So for me, instead of going in for that powerful hit session, I, I encourage my clients to kind of take small breaks throughout the day. So every 20, 30 minutes, they could work on their breathing. Before lunch, before snacking, before dinner, they can actually spend you know five minutes directing their minds. And, and to me, that is more important. Now, in terms of movement, I encourage people to move every single day. And now, whether that day is of high intensity or of low intensity, if they're not a professional athlete, is dictated by how their body condition is that day. Um, because chances are, well, the fact is, 90% of the people that I work with in Hong Kong are businessmen. 
And as a businessman, they don't necessarily dictate how their days go in terms of stress levels. And and to me, if if they're under heavy stress, we all know that there are times when when you stress, hit session is is the perfect gateway to release some stress because that you've got all these emotion trapped inside your chest that you just wants to release. And so I, I would usually start them off with some movements, ease into it. And and what they usually find is at the end of the day, perhaps they're not as stressed as they thought they were because in addition to the real stress, they have these false triggers. So I would say movement every single day. And if the body allows you to do it, you can push yourself hard. But definitely don't forget the recovery because that ultimately is what's often overlooked in the fitness industry. Love that. Uh, well, I could speak with you for hours, but I know that neither of us can do that, um, you know, balance, got to go do something else. And probably I should sit up and move around at this point. Uh, so I know that everyone's probably wondering, like, where can they find you? Where can they get your book, Dynamic Balance? Um, I'm going to link everything in the show notes, but please give us an overview of like, how can we stay in touch with you? Yeah, my Instagram is Chichu Andy. So T-S-Z-C-H-I-U, my Chinese name, and then Andy. So Chichu Andy is my Instagram account of my website, chichu.com. And Dynamic Balance can be found on all major book retailers. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Hudson, everywhere. Awesome. And then um, any last messages that you might have for the audience that you want to leave them with um, before we wrap up? Well, everyone should know that chasing the balance state is not a binary question um, because a lot of times, again, in, in the U.S., we're so often caught up in this black or white answer. Are you balanced? Yes or no. But we all should remember that chasing balance is a process. Um, it, it is definitely not the end. So remember that as we go through the challenges in life, it is all a process to find this balanced state. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Nourish. If you enjoyed this conversation, please leave a positive review. Your rating really helps the podcast grow and your feedback means the world to me. I publish new episodes twice a month, so hit the subscribe button to be notified. Finally, if you'd like to learn more about the work I do as a holistic counselor or to connect, please head over to my website, or my Instagram at Mira underscore wellness underscore co. I love speaking with each and every one of you. Thanks again for being a listener and see you next time.